We're going to continue in worship in Acts chapter 2, so go ahead and turn there. Acts chapter 2, let me just tell you a little bit about Acts chapter 1, uh, in case you haven't been with us uh, the past couple of weeks. In Acts chapter 1, uh, Jesus Christ appeared to his apostles, uh, and his apostles were amazed. You know, he spent 40 days with them. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 1 that he was telling them about the kingdom of God. He was teaching them about the kingdom of God and their participation in the kingdom of God, what that would look like, what that would be like in this world. And Jesus, if you'll remember in Acts chapter 1, he made a promise to his apostles, and it was actually the promise of God, and Jesus said that promise of God is going to be fulfilled. He promised the apostles that they would be baptized by the Holy Spirit of God. What we see throughout the book of Acts, if you wanted to look at the book of Acts as a whole, what we see in the book of Acts is we see God's children, his ambassadors, if you will, his vessels living out the gospel of Jesus Christ in their world. That's what the book of Acts is all about. The Acts, right? That word Acts, it's about amazing things accomplished. But it's not just amazing things accomplished by man, it's amazing things accomplished by the Holy Spirit of God through man. And that's what we're going to see. And it's all because men and women who said yes to Jesus, who embraced Jesus as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit of God baptizes them, seals them as God's children, and then fills them empowers them, enables them to go out and do amazing things. You see, apart from the Holy Spirit of God, you and I can't really do anything amazing. Oh, we can do what man does, but we can't do what God does and what God can do apart from the Holy Spirit. It's not possible. And so that's what the book of Acts is all about. Sometimes people get confused with baptism of the Holy Spirit and filling of the Holy Spirit. Well, I want to take just a moment and I want to read a few statements from Dr. David Jeremiah explaining the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says. He says, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a universal work of God. Every Christian who has ever been regenerated by the Spirit has been baptized in the Spirit into the body of Christ. Listen to this. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is a non-repeating work of God. You can only receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit as many times as you are saved. Did you hear that? So when you repent of your sin and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ that very first time, in that moment, if you have truly surrendered your heart to God through repentance and faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit, for you, it's done. He has sealed you as his child, as his ambassador, as his vessel. The filling of the Holy Spirit is continuous. The filling of the Holy Spirit, listen, that's what I pray for every day. Every day when I wake up, when God gives me another day, my prayer is, God, empty me of me and fill me with you. Fill me with your spirit. 
And so I love how Dr. David Jeremiah reminds us of the difference of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit. And listen, we're going to see that throughout the book of Acts. These apostles, they have been baptized with the Spirit. We're going to see that today. But not just that, we're going to see them filled with the Spirit so that they can be who God created them to be, so that they can do what God created them to do. And it's all about His kingdom, it's all about His glory, and it's all about Jesus Christ, magnified and glorified. And so I hope that's what you see today in the Scriptures. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever made a promise that you didn't keep? Anybody? Let me see your hands. I, I want to see this. Have you ever made a promise that you didn't keep? Yeah. If you didn't raise your hand, the altars will be open at the end of the service for you to come and repent. Because I'm pretty sure everybody in here has made a promise to somebody and didn't keep it. What did that feel like for you? Right? Maybe you didn't care. Maybe you got over it quickly. Maybe, maybe you just couldn't let go of that. Man, that disappointment, that failure of not keeping a promise. Let me, let me flip that around. Has anybody in here ever been made a promise and that person didn't keep it? Probably every one of us could raise our hands again, right? Yeah, somebody has promised me before and didn't come through. Well, let me just tell you what I love about the book of Acts, especially these first two chapters. It proves what the Bible has proved in every book, every chapter, and every verse. When God makes a promise, He keeps it. When God makes a promise... He keeps it. You just sang a song called Faithful Now. That is our God. And I love what that song tells us. If what we read in the Bible is true for all of those who have ever lived, all of those who have lived in the past, it's true today. If my God was faithful then, He continues to be faithful now. As a matter of fact, that's what the the writer of Hebrews says, that's what the writer of Timothy says. Paul says, hey, listen, even when we are faithless, God remains faithful because he cannot disown himself. My God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, always. When my God makes a promise, he keeps it. And so in Acts chapter 2, what we see is we see God's full fulfillment of the promise of the Holy Spirit to all believers. And listen, it's gonna, we're going we're gonna to look at Acts chapter 2 and we're going to look at the apostles then. We're going to look at what the Holy Spirit did to them and through them then. But what did I just say? What God did then, God has still been doing and is still doing today and He'll do it tomorrow. So don't think that we're looking at some historical book of incredible things that happened thousands of years ago, and it doesn't happen anymore. Well, if that's what you believe, then you don't believe what the Bible says. Because the Bible says that God is the same. Amen? That, that's not me making this up. God, His Word, the book of Hebrews, it says God is the same today and tomorrow as He was yesterday. And so what God did in Acts, I believe God is doing today. He is still creating acts, right, of amazing things, God-amazing things through His children. The promise is fulfilled 
on the day of Pentecost. I love this. Pentecost was one of three major festivals that the Israelites celebrated throughout their calendar year. And Pentecost actually occurred on the 50th day after the Passover. Now think about this, right? Jesus spent 40 days, right, with the apostles after he rose from the grave. And here we are, three days after, you know, after he was crucified, he rose from the grave. Then he appeared for 40 days. And so a few days have passed, and here we are at Pentecost. Now, Pentecost is also known as the Feast of Harvest. And I believe in this chapter, what we're going to see is we're going to see believers embracing and experiencing the fulfillment of God's promise, which is the Holy Spirit of God baptizing believers, filling believers so that His kingdom will advance, so that Jesus Christ, His perfect life, His sacrificial death, and oh yeah, His resurrection will be proclaimed. That's what we're going to see today. This is not a coincidence. This is providence. This is the perfect plan of God and the perfect timing of God. Acts chapter 2. Let's look at verses 1 through 4. The Bible says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now let me stop you right there. They were all together in one place. That's not the first time we've heard that they were together. See, we heard that throughout chapter 1. And let me tell you what brought them together. Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit of God brought them together. And it wasn't just physical togetherness. Oh, no, 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 no. It was spiritual togetherness. And so the Bible says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. The Spirit's already working. The Spirit's already moving. But look at this. Woo! Verse 2. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them. Do you see that? All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now before we dig a little further into Acts chapter 2, let's talk about these four verses. Because we know that God made a promise to them. Jesus himself told them, when I go, the Father will send another, an advocate, to live in you. Right? He's already said that. Jesus has already said in Acts chapter 1, hey, go and wait in Jerusalem. Because if you'll wait there, you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit of God. So what we see is we see the fulfillment of the promise of God through the Holy Spirit. And what we see in this passage is very incredible because the Holy Spirit manifested Himself. That means He made Himself evident in three ways, okay? So that word manifest is just a big church word that means made evident, right? In other words, it's tangible. We can see it. We can feel it. We can hear it, right? It appeals to our senses, So the Holy Spirit manifested himself in three ways. Look at it. First of all, in sound. 
Do you see it? Verse 2 says they heard a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. Do you think that's a coincidence? You ought to know better. Because nothing I say up here is coincidence, right? They heard the sound like a violent wind. Did you know that in Hebrew, the word spirit is the word ruach? And in Greek, it's the word pneuma. And both of those words mean the wind of God or the breath of God. In John chapter 3, verse 8, do you know what Jesus does? He uses the word wind to describe those who are born in the Spirit. That's not a coincidence. Jesus has been preparing them, teaching them, telling them about what would happen. John chapter 3 verse 8, he uses the wind to describe believers who are born of the Spirit. This was the life-giving breath of God to the believers who are being built up as his church. You know this, don't you? Acts chapter 2, this is where the church, right, is founded. This is where the church is put together by God and sent out into the world. Now, we're going to get there, not this Sunday, not today, maybe not even next Sunday, but the next, okay? So I'm giving you my outline, if you will. Yeah, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 for three Sundays. It's just way too much to comprehend in one day. So anyway, he, he breathes, right? He breathes life into them. In Ezekiel chapter 37, the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord, the Sovereign Lord, said to the dry bones, I will make breath. Do you see that? I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. Do you think this is a coincidence? That they heard the sound, right? The sound of the Holy Spirit, and it sounded like a violent wind. And that word wind is the breath of God or the wind of God. He made himself manifest through sound. Not only that, he made himself manifest in sight. Now, it should not surprise us what we see in this passage of Scripture. It should not surprise us to see the images of what seemed like tongues of fire. Tongues of fire throughout the Old Testament. Let me just remind you. Throughout the Old Testament, it was fire that symbolically represented Almighty God to His people. We see it in the burning bush, Exodus chapter 3. We see it in the pillar of fire, Exodus chapter 13. We also see it in the glow of a flaming fire. That's what Isaiah saw in chapter 4. And we also see it in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 1, he saw the central fire glowing in the metal, right? It's fire, fire that represents God. And these believers, right, that they're in this room and they're being caught up in the Spirit. The Spirit of God is moving and sounding like a violent wind. But not only that, that they see these images, right, that look like tongues of fire resting on each believer in that room. He's making himself evident to them. He is manifesting himself to them in sound and in sight. But don't you love this? Also in speech. In speech. When the Spirit filled them, the Bible says they were enabled, they were enabled to speak in other languages. This was not in a power 
that, that was in and of themselves. This was the power of the Holy Spirit of God. This could not have happened apart from the Holy Spirit's powerful presence being manifested in this room. I don't know about you, but there's two things I feel. Number one, I wish I could have been in that room, right? I wish I could have been in that room. But number two, I'm kind of scared, right? I'm kind of scared of what I might have thought and how I would have responded had I been in that room. But I'm going to tell you this. I have, I have heard God speak in my life. I've heard his voice. I have seen God move in my life with my eyes. I have seen him do things that only he can do. And I have been able to stand and speak, right? Speak the word of God and see God do something that I could have never done in and of myself. Listen, I can have all of the degrees I want. I can, be, I can take all the speech classes and all the writing classes and I can craft words on a page but I'm going to tell you something. Without the Spirit of God, it is nothing. Salvation doesn't come because Brother Jeff preached a good message. Salvation comes because God moved through the message of Jesus Christ that stirred hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, period. It's the Holy Spirit. It's who the Holy Spirit is. And the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in this moment, it was powerful. It was powerful. They were experiencing the power of God in ways they had not experienced before. And let me tell you what it was. It was so that the believers could magnify the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was not so that they could abuse God's power and do whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted and wherever they wanted, because Jesus already told them where they were going to go. Chapter 1, they're going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to go to Judea. They're going to go to Samaria. And they're going to go to the ends of the earth. And Jesus already told them why they were going. They weren't going on a cruise ship so that they could be pampered. No, they were going on a battleship so that they could proclaim the kingdom of God. Not the kingdom of Jeff. Not the kingdom of Start Baptist Church and Start Louisiana. No, the kingdom of God that is for all people and for all places. That's what this is about. You thought the first four verses were good. Woo, look out. Let's dig a little deeper. Chapter 2, verse 5 says, Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. That's very important. From every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound. So, ooh, look out. Look out, right? Because the Spirit was being manifested not just in that little room. The Spirit was being manifested wherever they went. And so it says, when they, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Because each one heard their own language being spoken. And I'm fixing to tell you how crazy that was. All right? Each one, every nation under heaven, each one, the Bible says, heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, 
aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? And look at what the writer of Acts does, Luke. He tells you 15 people groups. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. That means Jews and Gentiles, okay? Then he says, Cretans and Arabs. Listen, look at what it says. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Verses 12 and 13, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them. That means they mocked them, ridiculed them. Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. I love this because the Spirit of God manifested himself to the apostles. In other words, the sound, the sight, the speech, it was evident that God had fulfilled the promise he made to them, that they were empowered and enabled to do something that they could have never done in and of themselves. You see, here's what happens in this passage. The Holy Spirit of God gifted them, gifted them to speak in other tongues. This was not by accident. This was not just some coincidence. This was divine and it was intentional. You're telling me God didn't know all of these people were there? Right? Let me remind you. What were they celebrating? Pentecost. Right? The Passover had happened Pentecost, this was an important festival. And so people from all over had come to this place to celebrate Pentecost. God's perfect plan, God's perfect time. Not coincidence, divine. So many Jews from other nations were there. Gentiles were there. And they heard their own languages being spoken. And let me remind you, the apostles, they were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what they were doing. Listen to me. When it says they began to speak in tongues, right? These are not some utterances. That's not what this is. This isn't some utterance or some unintelligible language. No, 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 no. This was understandable words. This was languages being spoken by men who didn't know how in and of themselves to speak those languages, These were not unintelligible words. Paul deals with that. He deals with another kind of tongues in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, if you're interested. I've already preached that on Sunday nights, but if you have questions, I'll help you. These were understandable words and languages of people groups. And look, Luke just calls out 15 of them. I tend to believe what theologians believe, and there was way more than 15 there. Luke called out the ones he recognized. The ones he saw. But I believe there were more there. Let me tell you what this was. This was a supernatural, divine move of God through uneducated people who we know from text only spoke Aramaic or possibly Greek. That's what the Bible says. 
Weren't these Galileans? These are Galileans, which means they spoke the native language, Aramaic, or possibly some Greek. But as we see in this passage, when the Spirit baptized them and when the Spirit filled them, they were able to do things that only God can do. Amen? That's what the Bible teaches us. That's what the Bible shows us. So the Holy Spirit of God gifted them to speak in these other tongues. Not only that, I love this. The Holy Spirit of God, He does what He does. He led them. See, the Holy Spirit of God leads us. Well, He led them to declare, don't you love this? The wonders of God. He led them to declare the wonders of God. You might be saying, well, Brother Jeff, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, theologians tell us when you study the, the, the books of the Bible and the languages, theologians tell us that it was a Jewish custom to recite the wonders of God to one another. They reminded each other, right, of what God had done so that they could see what God was doing and expect what God was going to do. And so they talked to each other about these wonders of God. As a matter of fact, some of the wonders that they consistently spoke out loud to one another was when God parted the Red Sea. When God brought down the walls of Jericho. When God, through David, struck down the giant. I think we sang a song about that just a few minutes ago, didn't we? Yeah. You think that's coincidence? I don't. They recited stories like God raining down manna from heaven to feed the Israelites when they were in the wilderness and could not feed themselves. And I love this because even though many tongues, many languages were being heard that day, there was only one message. Don't you love that, right? Even though there were many languages and many tongues being spoken at the same time, there was only one message, and that is the wonders of Almighty God. You see what God can do? You see what God can do through the power of the Spirit? He can bring people together from all over. And they can see Him and hear Him and know Him. I don't know about you, but that's amazing. That's God-amazing. Do you know in this this chapter, in Acts chapter 2, there are two important questions that are asked. I've already pointed you to one of them. I've already pointed you to one of them. Right here in verse 12, these people that were amazed, right? They asked this question, what does this mean? Do you see that? In other words, we, we hear you <laughs> and we see you. But what does this mean? And here, here's what they're asking. What does this mean for me? What does this mean for us? We, we see what God is doing. We hear what God is doing But what does it mean? Now, I wish I could tell you I'm going to answer both questions. I'm just going to go ahead and fast forward to the next question asked, okay? Because we're going to stop right here, and then we'll get to the rest of the passage next Sunday. So come back, right? Come back. The next question they're going to ask after Peter steps up, baptized by the Holy Spirit, right? He's a believer, filled with the Holy Spirit and speaks. The next question they asked is in verse 37, and it's this question, what shall we do? Mm. 
So first question is, what does this mean? So let's talk about that question for just a minute because here's, here's, the, here's the thing, right? The thing is, when God's word is proclaimed, there will be a response. Do you hear me? When God's word is proclaimed, there will be a response. It will either be received or it will be rejected. I'm telling you. It'll either be received or it will be rejected. Now for those who receive it, right? They are receiving salvation from God through repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ. That's the message that Peter's going to proclaim. I'll go ahead and tell you. If they don't receive it, they might say, oh, well, I'm going to wait till tomorrow. Guess what? You just rejected the message today. And you are not promised or guaranteed tomorrow. It's either receive or reject. Yeah, there, there is no maybe, wait. No, 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 no. When you hear the message of God, you will either receive it or reject it. Now, here's the thing. I rejected it. I rejected it a few times, probably more than a few times. And praise God and thank God, he was patient with me and he gave me another opportunity and another opportunity and another opportunity and another opportunity to hear it. And then there was that one day when I heard it, not just with my ears and my head, but I heard it with my heart. And I said, God, I'm guilty. I am the sinner in Romans 3.23. I have sinned and fallen short of your glory, but... I know that while I was still a sinner, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Christ died for me. And in that moment, I received Jesus Christ. And you know what happened in that moment? I was baptized by the Spirit of God. That's, that's Look, 13 years old, I was baptized. I haven't been baptized again by the Spirit of God. You want to know why? Because he baptized me that one time when I repented and trusted in Jesus Christ. Now, since that time... He has filled me, filled me, and filled me, and I pray that he continues to fill me. You better pray that he continues to fill me too because I'm the one standing up here proclaiming his truth. And I, I want it to be his truth and, and not just me. So how did the people respond on this day? I wish I could tell you verse 14 says they all got saved, okay? But that's not what it says. It says something very important in verses 12 and 13. Okay? So let's look at it. How did the people respond to this powerful move of the Holy Spirit of God and the gospel message that was proclaimed, the wonders of God? Well, number one, some were amazed by the movement. Some were amazed by what they saw and what they heard and what they were feeling. That word amazed... Here's what it means. It means showing great surprise and intriguing wonder. Great surprise and intriguing wonder. You know what that means? I want to hear a little bit more. I want to hear a little bit more. Some of the people were amazed and they were being drawn in by the Spirit, right? Some of the people were perplexed. That's what it says. I'm not making these words up. That's verse 13. Some of them were perplexed by the movement, right? That word perplexed, here's what it means. It means to be filled with uncertainty or to be puzzled. 
Listen, in this very moment, some of them didn't get it. Some of them didn't understand. Some of them were puzzled, right? What, what is going on? Like, I know that that's Paul, but he's speaking in this language. I know that that's Peter, but he's, he's speaking. I, I know that that's Matthew, and he's, he's speaking in my language. Like, what, what is happening? Like, some of them, they were amazed, and they were like, keep, keep talking. Keep, keep telling me more. And some were like, man, I don't know what's happening here. Like, I'm confused. I'm perplexed, right? I, I, I'm, I'm puzzled by this. And then sadly, some of them mocked the movement of God. Some of them made a conscious choice to go, those guys are drunk. Those guys have had way too much wine. As a matter of fact, the word wine here, it's the only time it's used in the Bible, this version this word, it's the only time it's used to talk about wine. And it's talking about wine that has been drunk in excess. Right? It's, it's, it's evident. They intended for it to come out like that. They have drank too much wine. In other words, those guys are drunk. That's why they're doing what they're doing. So some were amazed, some were perplexed, and some were mocked. You say, Brother Jeff, but, but did anybody get saved? Well, I ain't done yet. I mean, I'm done today. But chapter 2 don't end in verse 13. Thank God. See, there's more to be said. There's more to be experienced. God's not done. And I'm so thankful he wasn't done all those times up until that point when I was 13 and I heard the gospel message proclaimed for the first time in my heart and I said yes. Some may be in this room, some hearing my voice, you have heard the gospel message preached and lived out loud time and time again, and you've rejected it, and you've rejected it, and you've rejected it, you've made this excuse, and that excuse, and that excuse, and that excuse, and I'm not here to cast stones at you, because I was guilty of that too. But here's what I'm saying, keep focusing on God, keep looking to God, because His perfect plan and His perfect timing will come together and the Spirit of God will stir you and open your heart and open your mind so that you can hear His voice and make an intelligible, right, decision. (laughs) An amazing, grace-filled, mercy moment where you say, yes, God, I'm guilty, but thank you, God. Jesus lived, died, and rose from the grave, and I'm saying yes. See, the Holy Spirit of God, what we see in this passage, the Holy Spirit of God will enable us as believers, empower us as believers to do one thing, declare the gospel, to declare the message, to declare the wonders of God. That's what God does. That's what God does through the Spirit. Listen, the Spirit of God convicts me of sin, yes. The Spirit of God, though, leads me. In repentance, the Spirit of God stirs me and moves me to walk this way, to stop, to move, to stop, to move, to turn. It's the Spirit of God who leads and guides and directs me. It's the Spirit of God who enables me and empowers me to proclaim, to declare God's kingdom, to declare God's truth. And that is He loves you. 
Even while you're a sinner, He loves you. And He's demonstrated His love for you in this, that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. The gospel message is that you can repent so that times of refreshment may come from God. That's Acts chapter 3. Getting a little ahead of myself. Book of Romans. God loves you so much that you can declare with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and you will be saved. God loves you that much. And that's why the Spirit, right, empowers us and enables us so that we can proclaim that message to anyone and everyone that God puts in front of us. To anyone and everyone God takes us to. That's what it's all about. It's all about Jesus Christ. And so I have a decision to make. I have a decision to make. You have a decision. We have a decision to make when it comes to the Holy Spirit of God. Number one, will we pray? Will we pray? Will we wake up each day and pray, right, for the Spirit of God to fill us? Listen, I don't wake up each day and say, God, baptize me with the Spirit. He's already done that. He did that upon my repentance of sin and faith and trust in Jesus. But I do wake up each day and say, God, I know what I'm capable of without you, and it ain't good. And it ain't about your kingdom, it's about mine. So God, I want to be emptied right now of me and myself, and I need to be filled with you, and God, you've promised to do it. So fill me now with your spirit so that when I get up out of this bed, so that when I get out of this house and I go out there, I can tell others about Jesus and I can show others who Jesus is. Will we pray? Number two, will we declare? Will we declare? Will we declare the wonders of God to others? Do you know how many conversations we have each and every day? Now, some of you, you may only see a few people in a day, but that's still one person whose eternity hangs in the balance. That may be three people whose eternities hang in the balance. Some of us, right, get to speak to a lot of people. And that's a lot of eternities that hang in the balance. And we'll talk about the ball game. I watched a couple of good ball games yesterday. I had people ask me about my, the ball games, right? Who'd you pick in the Final Four? Well, it don't matter because one of them's already been beaten. We, we have so many conversations, right, I wonder, in truth, how many conversations each day do we have declaring the wonders of God? And I'm, I'm not just throwing that at you because I thought about that. One of the guys I listen to a lot um, on, on, on Sports Center, he's an old football player, and here's what he said. He said, what if Jesus came on Sunday morning and he came to answer your prayers that you prayed from Monday through Saturday night? How many salvation experiences would take place? Yeah, that's an old football player, a sports analyst, right? He gets to talk about ball. All the time. And I think that's pretty cool because I like that too. But here's what he said. If Jesus comes Sunday morning and he's there to grant all the prayer, all the, he's there to grant your prayers that you prayed from Monday through Saturday, how many people got saved because of your prayers? 
Ooh. That's a slap in the face, ain't it? Because, oh, I pray for God to help me financially. And, oh, I pray for God to help me physically. And, oh, I pray for God to do this for me and do that for me. How many times have I prayed that God's, His wonders would be declared so that somebody would get saved? I wonder how many people would get saved this week if God answered our prayers today as a collective church. Will we pray? Will we declare God's kingdom, God's glories? And finally, will we trust? Because here's the thing, the apostles, even though God is sovereign, we've talked about this, in God's sovereignty, right? He can do what he wants, when he wants, where he wants, how he wants, with whomever he wants. But even in his sovereignty, you know what God gives us? He gives us free will. He gives us choice. We get to choose. We get to choose whether to receive Jesus Christ or reject Jesus Christ. Every day we wake up, we get to choose to be filled with the Spirit or filled with self. Did you know that? Anybody struggle with that? Okay. I do. I struggle with it every day. I even struggle with it on Sunday. I hate to tell you that, but it's true. I struggle with that, right? I'm either going to be filled with what I want (laughs) or I'm going to be filled with what he wants. That's the struggle between spirit and flesh. Paul talked about it. He struggled with it too. So will we trust, right? Will we trust God's filling us? Will we trust the Holy Spirit in us to do what he called us to do? And listen, here it is. Will we trust the redemptive plan and the perfect timing of God. Because here's the truth. We can't save anyone. Like, Brother Joe, I, I can offer an invitation, but I can't save anybody. Only God can do that. Me and you, we can't save anyone. But I'll tell you what we can do. We can be vessels. We can be ambassadors, right? We can be jars of clay filled with a valuable treasure. And that is the message of Jesus Christ. We can declare the glories of God so that the promise Holy Spirit can stir and move and fall and be made manifest to those who need Jesus. That's what we can do. So many times we we struggle. You know, I I, I went and spoke at a retreat this weekend. And, uh, you know, I, I proclaimed the gospel. We did some worship. I even offered the plan of salvation. And I'm going to tell you, in my heart, I was believing that somebody, somebody's multiple, I I just believed somebody was going to get saved. And here's the thing, they might have. But I didn't baptize anybody Friday night. I could have went home and went, well, God, (laughs) what did I do wrong? I could have went home and said, well, God, why didn't you move Friday night like you moved a few weeks ago when I baptized two men in a pool out at Secret Springs? You see, right? What can happen is, is we can start thinking about our plans, right? And our victories and our successes and forget that all we are are vessels. All we are is ambassadors, right? We ain't the president. We're ambassadors. All we are is vessels. We're just filled with what God fills us with, and then we're poured out with whatever God fills us with. We, listen to me. 
Here's what I believe. I believe that if we will just pray and we will declare the glories and we'll trust the Holy Spirit of God, that we'll have a whole lot more peace in our lives instead of trying to manage and direct and trying to force things to happen. I love Pastor Tony Merida, and here's what I'll close with. Here's what Pastor Tony Merida says. He says, the obvious point of Acts is that the gospel is, in fact, for all people. Thus, the church has a responsibility. And that responsibility is to spread the gospel to every people, every tribe, and to those of every language, for that is God's redemptive plan through the power of the Holy Spirit. I love that. It didn't say through the power of Jeff. No, 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 no. Jeff is a part of the church, right? He's a part of the church. He's one that's been saved by God through grace, by faith in Jesus Christ. He's a part of the church, and Jeff's responsibility is just to declare the wonders of God, to spread, right, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere I go. It's the Holy Spirit, right, who stirs a heart unto repentance and faith. It's God who saves, not Jeff. I'm going to tell you, I have a whole lot more peace about that. I remember when I stood up here and preached a lot, I gauged how I preached on how many people came to the altars and prayed. I did. I did that early on in my ministry. I thought, well, I didn't do good enough because nobody came up and prayed or nobody made a decision. I used to beat myself up. I'm going to tell you, you want to know what that was? That was pride. I'm just telling you what it was. It was pride. Thinking I could speak better or I could do better or I could study more. I I could be more powerful with my voice or I could just use a whisper. Like it, like it was my job, right, to get people to this altar or it was my job for somebody to come up and profess Jesus Christ as Savior. No, 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 no. My job is to preach the truth of Jesus Christ and let the Holy Spirit of God do what he does. That's, that's mine. See, I can, I can own that. Do I want to study? Do I want to be prepared? Absolutely I do. Because the Bible says, whatever you do, whether word or deed, do it all unto who? God, it's for the glory of God. So yeah, I want to prepare, I want to do the things I can do, but at the end of the day, God, I can't do it without you. I got to have you. I need your spirit because you can take even the train wreck that is Jeff Thomas and make something beautiful out of it. You can take the fumbling words and the mind that just seems to be failing and fading the older I get and you can use it to do something amazing. The acts, right? The acts of the apostles. I pray today that you have embraced God through repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ. I pray today that you have been baptized with the Holy Spirit of God. You've been sealed. You are God's child. And I pray today that you are living in the Spirit, walking with the Spirit, being filled by the Spirit to go out and do what God created you to do. And it's for all people. Yeah, you, me, no matter the background. Salvation is for all people. The Holy Spirit of God has been promised to all people who will say yes to Jesus. That's my prayer is that you've said yes to Jesus. And if not, I pray you'll say yes to Jesus before it's too late.